You know, culture is a funny thing. Culture is this, I don't know, it's this thing that we can't really define. It's very difficult to define culture, but you kind of know it when you hear it or you know it when you see it. Like unless you guessed or you cheated, when you're watching that video, you're thinking when you hear that music, okay, that's the guy in the car playing that music, right? That makes you a terrible person if you thought that too, by the way. No, why do we think this? We think this because of stereotypes, some, you know, real and some imagined. We think this because of our personal history. We've been in some setting where something's happened and we connected the dots between what we were seeing now and what we saw back then. And we knew what the reality was there. So maybe that's the reality now. Culture is another reason that we assume that. You know, we assume that because of culture. Culture is defined. I'm going to give you a definition so that as we're talking about this, we'll all be on the same page. Culture is the customary beliefs, social forms, and material traits of, of a racial, religious, or social group. It can also be the characteristic features of everyday existence shared by people in a place or a time. So the last part of that definition, leave that up there for just a second. The last part, number two there, the last part of that definition is really the definition of culture in general, like the larger culture, right? The first part of that definition is really the definition of, of subculture or a culture within a culture. So let me just give you an example here. A, a, an at-large cultural kind of idea would be that everybody, or I'll say most people, right, has a cell phone. Not everybody, I, I get that. There, there is a minority maybe that you don't have a cell phone. That's okay. But by and large, in our culture, most people have a cell phone. People are hanging onto their cell phone and getting rid of their home phone. That's just kind of a cultural trend in, in the culture at large where we live. And so here's the deal. If you go someplace else in the world, you go someplace else maybe in the United States, that's not really the culture. But the culture at large that we're a part of the culture kind of dictates that most people have a cell phone. Now, again, if you don't have a cell phone, that doesn't make you, you know, a really ignorant person or anything like that. It just means that you don't have a cell phone. That's great. You know, and sometimes what we have is that our collective culture points our attention towards something. So like in our culture, in this, you know, characteristic features of everyday life, everyday existence shared by people, we have that our culture kind of points towards, points its attention towards something. I was thinking as I was preparing this week, you know, something that happened recently that our culture, that kind of dumb, I don't really understand why it was a big deal, but our culture pointed our attention towards this Manti Teo linebacker from Notre Dame hoax of a girlfriend kind of story. Did anybody see this on the news? It only, they only showed it like once or twice a minute um, so like this is a big deal. For some reason, our culture decided that we all needed to know every intricate detail of this story. Right. And so our culture kind of collectively fixed our attention on this event, this newsworthy thing. Right. And so all of our culture kind of pointed towards that. Uh, before that, it was like the presidential election. I'm not sure which was worse to stomach, the Manti Teo thing or the presidential election. But, you know, our culture just kind of our, our, collectively, we pointed our attention toward something. When you talk about subculture, you talk about culture within culture, it's even more difficult to define. But again, you kind of know it when you hear it. You know it when you know it. You know, our, our, for those of you that are from this area or the South in general, you probably have a way of speaking, you know, if you will, that if you were to go somewhere else outside of this culture, they would know you're not from their culture. You're from this Southern culture. 
They would look at you and go, you're from Hickory Flat, Georgia, aren't you? You know, or something like that. Because they hear something in you that says they're not a part of the same culture I'm a part of. They must be a part of a different culture. Again, when you heard the music earlier, you probably assumed something about that music and connected it to or related it to some cultural connection that you were aware of. But it would have been the same if it had been any other type of music. I mean, if the music that started with some type of twangy, honky-tonk, country-western music, you would have had some image or some connection to some other culture other than maybe what was shown in the video. The same could be said if the music was like Yanni or John Tesh or Jim Brickman or something like... If if you're not familiar with that, when you're walking through Walmart on the end of the aisles there, there's these like push-button sound machines, and you push that, and that's the kind of music they play out of it. I know because my dad owns every one of those CDs. All right, it's like piano or synthesizer string types. I mean, like that's the, there's a culture associated with that type of music. And so subculture is this interesting thing that it's difficult to define. This last week, this last week or so, I've been watching with sincere interest and engagement as a subculture of our world began to elect a new leader of their culture. I'm talking about the Catholic Church. I, I, I've been watching, I mean, like, I, I'm serious. When I, I, My wife walked in the other day and she was like, why are you still watching this? Nothing new has happened. And I'm like, I don't know. I just can't look away. Like, I'm just, uh, it's black smoke this time. Like, I don't know. It's the smoke monster from Lost. I have no idea what's going on, but something's happening and I want to be here if it turns white, right? There's this subculture that exists there and, and a large amount of people in the entire world are a part of the subculture. And, you know, Wednesday evening, Wednesday afternoon, they were voting and, Then all of a sudden we saw white smoke. And then like there was some things that happened that we didn't know about until later. And like he's, you know, changing clothes and he's doing all this stuff. And then like 45 minutes later, he appears on a balcony and he's St. Francis. And then over the next couple of days, he begins to do these really like these formal kind of things. And and he's got this really personable personality. I don't think that's redundant, but I don't know. And so he's sitting in a room where he's just like speaking Latin and, and, and doing these really formal things. And then he breaks out and tells a joke. And like people don't know how to take that guy because that's not a normal part of the culture of the Catholic Church. It's not a normal way that the Pope was interacting, especially the most recent Pope. And so what you have is you have that. And this, again, I, I'm, 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 not, I'm not even speaking about anything about the Catholic Church other than just what I've watched this week. That in amazement, I've watched as these things have taken place. And I've watched from outside of that subculture the things that were taking place in that subculture. And some of you have been a part of that. When I talked to some of you and you were raised Catholic or you were a former practicing Catholic. And so that you're very familiar with parts of that subculture. But here I'm not. And so I'm watching and I'm, I'm it's very interesting to me that I see these people and they're walking and talking and they're just talking like normal and no big deal. And all of a sudden, like you turn on the switch and it's time to start and it's, it becomes this very formal ritualistic kind of engagement. And, and we go from, you know, talking and it's this Latin prayer. and It's amazing to me. And I wonder how much of that subculture that exists in some of those environments connects to the, the rest of culture outside of that specific room. And the reason that I wonder that is because I wonder how much of what we have in this room actually connects at all to our culture outside of this specific room. And so I feel like in an ideal scenario, in like the purest of motives, what we have in this environment is something that should be pretty normal in our culture as we leave this place to go out in the way that we live if we call ourselves believers. If you're a believer, and I know that not everybody in the room is, but you're a believer, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, 
the things that we have as a part of our corporate gatherings are things that, for the most part, connect to how you would normally maybe live outside of this room. I mean, there's a time of worship, and I'm hoping that outside of this room, if you're a believer, you're finding some way, some time to worship God. There's an opportunity to have community relationship with one another. And I get that inside this room, it may just be, you know, a high five or a handshake or just some very short conversation. Maybe it happens a little more in depth out in the lobby or through your small groups, your life groups, your serving teams. But there's community dynamics that hopefully is taking place outside uh, of this building. And then again, there's the opportunity to do what we're doing now and to open God's word, which we'll get to in just a second and kind of study God's word and look for truth and see how does this apply to my life, which I'm hoping is taking place outside of this room. But it seems to me that there are some disconnects between what we do in here. And for those of us that call ourselves believers, what we do out there. And when I say out there, I'm going to I'm going to use air quotes here. Just an aside, because I'm a little ADD this morning. Um, my six-year-old, Branson, walked up to me yesterday. He had seen it on a TV show. He had no clue what it meant. And he walked up and he goes, hey, Dad, is it okay when I'm talking if I just do this? I'm like, absolutely. Because I just want to see the first time he uses it and doesn't like it. just does not at all like, make sense when he does it. He's like, hey, Dad, can I get some food? Um, this is Branson. Or just, I just want to see him use it incorrectly and be like, yeah, absolutely. And then turn around and laugh my head off. right? So I'm like, yeah, absolutely, you can use that. So I'm saying like we're in here, like we gather here and then we're going to go out there into that other culture. And I'm trying to figure out how do we connect what happens in here to what happens out there. Right. Because sometimes there's a little bit of a disconnect. And I think there's a disconnect for a couple of reasons. But the primary reason is that we as Christians, we as believers, we've never really figured out how to live out there. And still be a Christian. Like we struggle with connecting the dots between how do I live out there and still maintain what's going on or what has happened in here. And I don't mean in here in this room. I mean in here in my heart. And so there's this constant tension in that. And I'm going to be very general and just paint with as broad a brush as possible because this may not be you at all. But it seems to me, and I'll speak from my own just past and insecurities, and maybe, maybe you've experienced some of these things like this. But it seems like when we get into environments out there, we do one of three things. Like we get into these non-Christian environments and we call ourselves a Christian. Here's one of three things that we do. We tend to do, the first thing that we tend to do is we compromise who we are and we engage in whatever's going on that's against like the word of God or against what we say we're about with our lives. So the first thing that we might do is we just compromise who we are and we just become one of those out there people and do whatever they're doing out there and not do what we would normally do in a room like this. Right. The second thing that we probably do, some of us, is we flee the scene for fear of catching the sin of the other people in that room or that place. It's like if I stay here, I'm going to catch what they have. And so I've got to flee this. I got to get away from here. It's like you cover you just like it's almost like you're afraid they have the flu. Like you cover you run. I got to get out of here. I'm going to get sick. And so we flee the scene. And the third thing that we do is we stay And we make everyone uncomfortable because we have no clue how to act intelligently in that environment. You ever been in any of those three scenarios? I mean, you're in a moment, you're in a scenario, and you're like, man, okay, what's going on here is not really what I say my life is about. So I've got a bunch of options, but really kind of the way that my life story works is I'm going to just jump in. Hey, I'm in. 
or I'm going to run away or I'm going to stay and make everyone uncomfortable because I, I don't know how to act. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. And you know why this happens? You know why this takes place? Because we've never figured out how to take our culture and be in that culture. We've never really figured out how to blend the two or how to coexist in any way. And I'm not, again, you're, hopefully we get to the resolve of this and you feel a little more comfortable because some of you are like, what are you trying to say? Huh? I don't know that I believe that. You jerk. I don't know what you're up there talking. That doesn't mesh with my theology. But what I'm saying is like, we're, we're trying to figure out, okay, I, I've got a culture. I've got a thing that I'm a part of. There's something going on. There's a characteristic feature about my life, about the way that I live. And it doesn't mesh well. It doesn't mix well with the things that I do in everyday life. In John chapter 17. If you've got a Bible, you can flip there with me. And we're going to kind of hang there for a while today. We'll, we'll jump around to a couple other places. But in John 17, verse 11 and verse 16, I, I want to read. This is Jesus talking. And he's praying a prayer to his father, to God, and he's praying about us. Okay, so Jesus is praying a prayer to God about us. That's a pretty amazing thing. You should kind of zoom in here because if the son of God is praying to God and you're the focal point of that, I would want to know what he's saying. All right, so here's what he says, beginning in verse 11 of John 17. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world and I'm coming to you. Jesus saying, I'm coming to you, God, and, and I'm not going to stay in the world where I've been, but they're going to stay here for a while. They are not, verse 16, they are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Now, that makes a great bumper sticker, makes for a great coffee mug, great T-shirt, good graphic post on Facebook. You post it on your wall. There's some kind of really artistic looking thing there in the world, but not of the world. Anybody ever heard this? Raise your hand. Don't be afraid. You're not going to get called on except for you. What do you think that means? No, I'm just kidding. In the world, but not of the world. I mean, this is kind of where we gather that phrase, that really cute Christian, you know, phrase here in the world. Jesus is saying, I will remain no longer in the world, but they're still in the world. I'm coming to you. They are not of the world, even as I'm not of it. They're in it, but not of it. And so how do we do this? Like, how do we live in this world, but not be of this world? If you can hang with me for a second, we're going to jump to the book of Acts. If you were in John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the next book that you come to is Acts. So if you got your Bibles, flip over there. You can keep a thumb or a finger or a slot of note or something in there in John 17 because we're coming back. Acts is, is an incredible book because what it does for us is it shows to us the development of the early church. It shows to us through almost every chapter building on each previous chapter about how new people, new places, new cities, new things, new, new environments, whatever. They're just a part of the development of the early church in that setting where God is speaking through or working through somebody to help develop the early church, these early followers of Jesus Christ. And in Acts 17, we read about three guys. If you read the whole chapter, you read about a guy named Paul. Not the first time you've met Paul. You read about a guy named Silas. Not the first time you've met him. You read about a guy named Timothy. Not the first time you've met him. You have Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And you see them in some cities. You see them doing some things. And Paul gets run out of town based on some preaching or teaching that he's done. And he ends up in verse, I think the first place we find him there is in verse maybe 22. He ends up in the city of Athens. All right, Not Athens, the home of the Georgia Bulldogs. All right? But in a different Athens that is much more cultured, much less redneck. Here's what it says in verse 22. Did I say that out loud? I'm sorry. I said I was ADD. It kind of comes out. A Athens is known as the city of art and philosophy 
which right there tells you it's totally different than Athens, Georgia. I mean, it's known for people searching for truth and beauty. It is, I don't, is there anything beautiful in Athens, Georgia? I'm not sure, right? Oh, go bulldog. I heard somebody. I knew it was coming. I'm just going to keep talking until Britt Henderson over here yells at me. All right. But Athens is known as a city where, where they're just in pursuit of knowledge and beauty. And it's in this context that Paul enters the city and he walks around. He just walks around in the city and observes what's going on in the city of Athens. And then he starts talking to people. And for Paul, he's a guy that was not afraid to talk to anybody. And he starts talking about what he's seen and all this stuff. And eventually he's brought down to this place, which we're going to read about. And it's kind of this hill overlooking this little valley area right outside of the Acropolis. And he's standing there and he's kind of talking to this group of philosophers about what he's observed. And here's what he says, beginning in verse 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I say that in every way, or I see that in every way, you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant. Let me just pause right here. Don't call people ignorant, right? Don't do that. That's not going to get you anywhere. But another translation may say, what is unknown to you? So I see that what is unknown to you of the very thing that you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. Verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Nor is he served by human hands and as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods in the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. I love that verse, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him. And find him almost like kind of struggling through the dark. I mean, you know, just kind of crawling around looking for objects to say, I'm getting closer to what I'd pointed towards. I love that image. He says, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Verse 28. For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone. An image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. All right, so I want you to think, if you can, if you can at all do this, imagine that you don't live here. Imagine that you live in Athens, not Georgia, Okay. And, and, and you're living there, and, and maybe you're not like the highest rank philosopher, but you're somebody that is pursuing truth and knowledge and beauty and art, and you're trying to determine what it is that kind of brings life to mankind. You're trying to determine how is it that we determine how long someone should live, and how do we know where someone came from, and how do we, how do we see what is beautiful, and how do we, what do we determine our worship to be? And you, you, you just you understand the context. The idols that Paul has seen, you see them because you live among them every single day. Some of those idols are the objects of your affection and worship. You look at them and you, and you, you pray to them, you sing to them, you give offerings to them, these stone creatures and things that have been formed. And so then a man stands up in the midst of that context and he uses all of that to present in language that you understand within the context of your everyday life. This message that is in complete, a completely contrary idea 
to how we got here, who we are, and who is to be worshipped. I mean, you just stand around day after day, debating, talking about philosophy, talking about how we got here and who we are and our identity and our purpose. And, and then a man steps up and says, listen, you're on the right track. Like, Paul didn't come in and say, you're a bunch of idiots. He did call them ignorant, but that's something else. He didn't say, you don't have a clue what you're talking about. He said, you are so close. I mean, you are so incredibly close to understanding the gospel. He says, I see that you're religious. There's something about your heart that longs to be connected to something greater. He says, I, I, I see. And he said, let me just explain to you how life even works. He says, these temples, these buildings. I mean, think of the Acropolis, if you're familiar with that piece. He said, these temples, the, the, the temple that we're talking about, God... He doesn't live in temples made by man, made by the hands of man, nor is he served by human hands, right? He doesn't want you to think that he needs anything that you can do for him. He made from one man every nation of mankind. Would that be a question that they're debating, that they're discussing, trying to determine where mankind even came from? He goes through and he says, he's determined their allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling places that they should seek God. In verse 28, he quotes a pagan poet. The guy's name is Aratus or Eratus. He has a, a poem that if it was translated into English, the title of it would be Phenomena. And what he has is he, he's, he's quoting this guy when he says in verse 28, for we are indeed his offsprings. He's not quoting the Old Testament here. He was quoting that one sentence earlier. He's saying, listen, I, I'm quoting someone that you would be reading. Something from your entertainment culture. I'm quoting that to show you that we are a part of the plans of God, being then God's offspring, taking and twisting and helping you to see how your pagan poet connects to the gospel, being his offspring. We ought not think, listen to this, we ought not think that the divine being that I'm talking about is like gold or silver or stone or an image formed by the art or imagination of man. Now, why would he say that? Because there are gold and stone Idols, statues that were created by man to represent these divine beings. And he's saying, listen, this unknown God that you're pursuing that you don't know, you don't even have a name for him. I'm telling you about him, but he's not encapsulated in whatever you can create with your hands. And then he comes back and he says, the times of ignorance God overlooked. He's playing to the fact that they are knowledgeable, that they're smart. They have, they have knowledge. They, have their, they're, they're, they can think and they can, they can figure things out. He's saying, now that you can do that, he commands all people everywhere to repent. And then he exposes them to Jesus Christ. And he says, there is one who will judge the righteous. God's appointed him to judge. And he showed us that he had appointed him and that that's God's son. And he is who he claimed to be when he was on earth because he raised him from the dead. He's talking about Jesus Christ. So what did he do? He was in Athens... But he was not of the Athenian mindset. He wasn't of their culture. He was in their place, but he wasn't of their culture. But what did he do when he was trying to relate to them the timeless truth of the gospel? He understood his context. Like he didn't just walk in and start just blurting out, you know, repent and be baptized or whatever. He, he came in and he kind of looked around and he observed and he kind of did his homework. And he walked in and he said, okay, I think I've got a pretty good idea of, of how these people are wired. And then he came in and he found some common ground. He says, hey, listen, I see that you're religious. He affirms their pursuit of knowledge and beauty. 
And then out of that, he, he then finds some commonality of language. He's quoting their poets. He's talking about the things that they see with their eyes in their city. And he not one time compromises the message of the gospel. He says, you're now accountable to the message because you've heard. And you need to repent. He says, there will come a day that you'll be judged by the righteous son of God. Who God himself affirmed by raising him from the dead. I mean, Paul was able to walk into a city that was pursuing knowledge. He was able to walk into a culture that was pursuing something greater than themselves. And in that context, he was able to expose the ultimate truth of Jesus Christ. That's what I want to do. I want to find a way in the context of my life to expose truth in the midst of a culture that says there's no absolute truth, in the midst of a culture that says everything is true, in the midst of a culture that says you believe what you want to believe and I'll believe what I want to believe and we're both right, which I cannot get straight in my head. I want to be able to find the most compelling ways to present the message of Jesus Christ. And I think that it's as simple as doing what Paul did. Gaining context, gaining understanding, finding common ground, and shining light in the midst of darkness. You know, I heard this, I tweeted it, if you follow me on Twitter, uh, last week or two at a conference I went to. They said, you know, if you were a missionary, if you were to go to another country somewhere in the world, you would go and you would learn the culture, you would learn the language, and you would find the best ways to present the gospel to these new people that you were attempting to reach. If you do that in America, we say that you've compromised the gospel. We're supposed to learn our culture. I mean, we're supposed to look. What is it that exists in culture? I mean, do we have any commonality with Athens? Do we have people that are pursuing knowledge? They're pursuing art. They're pursuing beauty. They're trying to look to everything that is man-made to say, what is my greater purpose? What's bigger than me that explains why I'm even here? I'm looking for identity. I'm looking for acceptance. I'm looking to find things that expose me to things that are greater than anything I can create with my hand. I want to know that I matter and that I matter for more than just the short temporary time that I'm on the earth. I would say, yeah, we have a lot in common with that. And I would say that for those of us who are sincere about being a part of the mission of God, which we talked about last week, where he says, go into all the world. Matthew 28, 19, he says, go into all the world and make disciples. I think he's calling us to places like this. If you've got your your finger still over on John 17, let's jump back there. And we started a minute ago in verse 22, I think it was. We're going to drop back to verse 19. John 17, I'm sorry, verse 14. This is Jesus still praying about us. We're going to read about five verses here. This is what he says. I've given them your word and the world has hated them. Again, Jesus talking to God about us. I've given them, talking about you and I, your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I'm of the world. My prayer, listen to this, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. 
They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For, I sa- for, for them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Did you hear this? Jesus did not say, I want to gather a bunch of Christians together outside of the world so that they can be holy enough. He says, no, I'm going to give you the truth. And then I want you to take that truth and go into the world. And I don't think we get that. I think in order to be a Christian, we feel like it's about these moments here. And this is a part of it. We've made this all of it. I mean, we... we if you, All right, I, I made fun of people that don't have cell phones a little while ago. If you have a cell phone, take it out. Hurry, go, 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 go. Don't check Facebook. You can do that in just a minute. I'm almost done. You got a cell phone, take it out. Once you have it out, I want you to just to turn it on. And I want you just to turn it towards me. Just let me see what's going on on your screen there. So if you are on Facebook, I can see it. Turn it on towards me. It's amazing that there's this many cell phones in the room. Um, Okay, so I can see some of those. I mean, I can see those. I really can. I'm kind of blinded here because there's some really bright lights in front of me. But let me just use this illustration. Maybe this will make sense. It it does to me. Maybe it will to you. Your cell phone doesn't really stand out in this room. Why? Because there's a bunch of light sources in this room. Like these bright lights here totally overpower anything that Samsung or Apple can make that you're holding in your hand. There's a bunch. I mean, there's a bunch of light sources in this room. And so for those of us that are believers, when we come in here and we are a light source, you don't stand out that much. But you ever, you ever like been somewhere that's dark? Maybe this is just me. You, like you're afraid you're about to step on a Lego piece in your house or a, a G.I. Joe man. And you take out your cell phone, you kind of turn it down. You ever done that? Anybody ever done that? Just, just me? Okay, awesome. Or you downloaded the flashlight app on your phone. David Hyman was trying to distract me a minute ago by shining that up here. Like, you, you, you turn it on, some of you are shining it at me right now. Like, I've got a, I got a flashlight app, right? So then I'm, I'm walking through the dark, I can just shine it down and see where I'm going. Somebody is strobing over here, I'm, that's awful, right? But we've we got these lights. And here's the thing, your light is much more effective in the dark than it is in this lighted room. Right? Does that make sense? It does to me, but I'm, I'm weird. In this room, my cell phone light, it's kind of bright. You can kind of see it. But it doesn't make that much difference to the light of this room. But if I take this and I shine this in a pitch black dark room of my house, it stands out. It exposes things that the darkness hid. Psalm 119.105 says this. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Jesus said that we were sanctified by the truth and that the word is truth. Come on, Justin. The very next verse after he says that he's giving us the truth, he says, As you sent me, God, as you sent me, your son, into the world, I have sent them into the world. Jesus sent us into the world. He sent us into the culture. He gave us the truth of his word to guide us in the midst of that. 
And so as we've been talking about challenge, I'm going to get out of your way. As we've been talking about challenge, we've been talking last week, we talked about your Jesus story. The video referenced it, but we talked about the idea that 80% of people who attend church for the first time attend at the invitation of someone. We talked about the fact that 74% of people who have accepted the, the call to salvation, they've been saved, have done that in the context of a local church. And so we've talked about the idea of how do we connect people to the gospel? How do you share your Jesus story? Who do you share your Jesus story with? How do you invite people? Who do you invite them to? And who do you invite to something that you already attend? Here's my question. I type this out. And so it says, who is it that you're supposed to tell your Jesus story to? Or who is it that you're supposed to invite to church? If the only people that you interact with already attend church and already have a Jesus story. Like if the only people that you ever interact with have their own cell phone light, metaphorically, okay? Are we doing what Christ called us to do? I would say no. And I would say that if we interact with people who don't have their own cell phone light, and we take our cell phone light and we stick it into our pocket, that we've kind of missed the point Of that little passage in the gospel that says, who takes a light and hides it under a bowl? Who takes the light, the candle, the light source that they have and hides it underneath their bed? No, you take it and you you put it up so that it can light everything around it. Put it up on a hill, put it up on a pedestal so it lights the whole house, it lights the whole room. And what most of us have done is we're cool turning on our light in this room. Right? I mean, we just, we'll turn it on as bright as it can be, baby. Woo! Jesus paid it all. Not what he's playing. Right? All to him I owe. I mean, I'm just singing it. I'm just bright light. See my light. Woo! And then we go to Zaxby's. Or, whoo, Mexican place by my house. Had a moment there. Forgive me. And we're like, what's up? Take a burrito, number two. Thank you. Are we go to work tomorrow. Somebody comes up to our cubicle, our desk, our, I mean, you're just, you would, you would love life if you actually had a cubicle. Your closet that you exist in somewhere in the corner that they give you. And they're talking about, man, I don't, my life is falling apart. And instead of shining light into that dark place, we don't know how to respond. We don't know what to say. We don't know how to connect the dots to your pain with this guy that I know who heals pain. We struggle to figure out how do I connect the dots with your need for acceptance and forgiveness to this place that in an ideal world is a place that you can be accepted and find forgiveness. We hide the light. I think what we found in Acts 17, I think we found a guy who walked into a place that was dark. And he just found any way he could to shine light on the truth. 
And if I could be so presumptuous today to say that I believe the Lord is saying in this moment to you, I think he's calling you into the darkness to shine light on the truth. I don't think he's calling you to attend church more, though you need to attend church more, right? I don't think he's calling you into a light place that's well lit with lots of light. I think he's calling you into the darkness so that you can look around and try to find some context and you can go, oh, you're hurting? I was hurting. You said, oh, like you, you got some things in your life that you think no one will ever forgive you for because everybody else that ever told you they loved you left you? Yeah. Me too. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, you, you're searching for truth. You're searching for answers. Like you're trying to figure out why we exist. You're looking for purpose and identity in life. I was too. And Ephesians 1.11 says that it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. I, I just think he's calling us into the darkness to shine light on the truth. And I know it makes us uncomfortable and I know we can't really figure out how to take our culture and mix it with that culture. But I think you just do what he said when he prayed to his father. And he was talking about you. You take the truth with you. You let the truth guide you. This is what he talked about. That said, this was what will guide my steps. This is the lamp unto my feet. And so you just walk into the darkness. Equipped with the truth. And you look for any way possible to expose the truth. With the light of God in your life. Here's my question. Here's my challenge as we leave. We're in the midst of this challenge series. And last week my challenge was for you. Within the next seven days. I want you to find somebody to tell your Jesus story to. I know some of you did that. Some of you emailed or you dropped it on Facebook. Or you said hey this is what I did. This is, you know, this is what I'm trying to do. I want to find the best way to share my Jesus story with somebody in my life. And Awesome. If you didn't do that. Go do that this week. Here's the challenge this week. I want you, this is going to be hard for some of us, okay? I want you to find some darkness around you. Like, I don't know what that is for you, but I want you to find some darkness around you. Some place that repels the things of God, pushes out the things of truth, some relationship that is not built on the love and mercy that we're talking about. I want you to find some darkness. And it may be an individual. It may be the place you work. It may be your school. It may be your neighborhood. It may be your neighborhood watch meeting. It may be your ball team. It may be your cheerleading squad. It may be the restaurant you go to. I, I don't know. I want you to find some place of darkness. And I want you just to pause. And I want you to try to gain some context, some proper understanding of what's going on, what's at play here. And I want you to pray a simple prayer. God, help me shine light here. Help me expose truth here. 
here's what I believe. When you make yourself available, he'll use it. He'll use you to expose light, shine the light in the darkness. You bow your head and close your eyes. Two parts to this prayer. Nobody's looking around. Just you and God here in this moment. If you would say to me today, again, nobody's looking. This is, this is just you, okay? You would say to me today, Jeremy, man, what you're saying sounds great. I would love to be a part of something like that. But I don't even have that light in my life. I need Jesus as my Savior. I need him as my Lord. I need to make right the things that I've done that are outside of the way that he has called me to live. The things that you're talking about in scripture. I don't live that way. And I need Christ to come into my life. Be that light in me to expose truth in the darkness. If that's you, would you just lift your hand and put it right back down. Thank you so much. Put it right back down. Thank you. Several hands. I want to just pause right here and pray for those that raise their hands and then we're all going to agree together in prayer for something else in just a moment. God, I thank you for the hands that were raised today. There are people in this room that acknowledge their need for you. They acknowledge that they're attempting to live their lives. They're like the Athenians. They're they're pursuing every man-made thing possible, perhaps, to find truth and identity and purpose. And so today, I thank you that they are aware enough of their need for you that they responded in this way. And so, God, in this moment, would you forgive them of their sins? Would you become the Savior of their life? Would you become the Lord of their life, giving guidance and direction as they look to you? God, thank you for their response. Let it not end here, but let them live a life for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Everybody looking at me. Here's the second part of this prayer. And it relates to all of us. I want us all to pray for the next like 30 seconds when I get done talking. Which may never happen. I may never stop talking ever. When I finish, I want us to take 30 seconds. You individually praying. I'm going to pray over you, but I'm asking you to pray for yourself. If you're committed to accepting kind of this challenge for today. That we're going to pray, God, help me find darkness. and Help me shine light. It can be that simple pray if you already know where that darkness exists it's in our home it's in my marriage it's in this dating relationship i'm a part of it's on my job it's in my school it's on the ball team whatever it is help me find darkness call it by name if you know it help me shine light there help me expose truth there all right i'm gonna stop talking right now i'm gonna start praying i want you to pray as well for you for your family the people around you god we thank you so much for the truth of your word I thank you that you have given to us the opportunity to look to your word, to understand truth, to understand how we can and should live, to expose truth in the midst of darkness. Give us courage this week to do this. Give us boldness to respond. God, help us to build one another up if we're walking into this darkness together and let us respond with the same grace as Paul to understand context to find common ground, but to speak the truth. Let us find some way to expose people to your work in our life and your work in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.